0: something that a lot of people try to do, you know, when they're meditating, when they're doing yoga, they're trying really hard to get a spiritual connection, and yet it's very difficult. How do you feel you are able to incorporate a cult and your body so well together?
1: The space, the performance space, allows you to be yourself in a way that you never feel you are outside it. It's a very magical, special space. magic is about uh, things changing in the world according to your desire. This movement, it's a kind of movement and desire is movement and the ecstatic, the body of pleasure is also this body of movement because the body of pain is one of constriction. So the opposite is how you release it.
0: Babylon. I, to be honest, it's like I heard the name Babylon like once or twice before, but I didn't really know much about Babylon until I was doing research to talk to you. How did Babylon come into your life?
1: My first awareness of her, I didn't know she was Babylon, but it was after I had done a 10-day ayahuasca retreat. And two weeks later, I was uh, in a garden in London, meditating after I'd got back and I'd been sort of raw food, vegan, completely like away with the fairies since I I'd come back. I was right. meditating in the garden and this goddess came forward and told me a bunch of stuff, like that I would meet Peter and things like this. And I can't really say what she said because it's so personal. I was working with Kuru Kula, uh, the Tantric Dakini, but in a completely non-Orthodox way. So I had this sort of... So fiery, hot, sexual, feminine energy that I had started working with a couple of years previously, then when I met Peter and I was reading the Red Goddess that he gave me these uh, chapters, I recognised from his descriptions and from what she was saying that the Goddess I had seen um, two or three months previously in a kind of meditation vision. Was Babylon. So I got very okay. This is you know, life does a lot of crazy things all at once and says like, just drops you there right in the storm. This is the work I have to do. After a failed suicide attempt, I made this kind of an offering of myself to to the energy to to Kula to do, and this is what happened. So scarlet imprint and red goddess in Babylon and. I was working with the body anyway, but the the work with the body has become so much deeper because of the work with Babylon. The issues are so much to do with the sexual energy, especially for women, and the suppression of female, feminine sexual energy, not female, I mean just feminine, that that energy, whether it's carried in a male or a female body.
0: I think a lot of the audience probably either has not heard of Babylon, or just in passing, or maybe they've heard a song, like a punk song about Babylon. So, is Babylon an actual like goddess energy? Is it a female archetype? It, you know? I, don't, I don't know how people think what an
1: archetype or a goddess is so. For me, I would say, we, the gods move through the world like, like winds, and they, they take people and things with them, and they've moved through them. But with agency, they know what they're doing. So Babylon is connected with this resurgence of the feminine energy. She can be connected with the goddess Inanna and Ishtar um, in ancient Mesopotamia. So her roots, like the, the roots of the name, Babylon is in Babylon. Then she sort of migrates and becomes Aphrodite. She goes to Cyprus and, and sort of moves through the world. It's just the same goddess, the same energy. And she has a... Re- resonant goddesses that have similar energies is this kind of particular shakti. Yeah, it's a kind of shakti. For me it was very interesting because all my previous work was in fields which were like Asian and suddenly being confronted with this energy in the West and in something that I had completely rejected from a young age and in the Bible as well, which I was raised Catholic and it was something I found. Very, very disturbing, some of the ideas that it gave. So, to find this goddess, there she is in the Book of Revelation.
0: Well, what is she exactly? The whore. Wow. Cass, tell us what you really think. Book of Revelation calls her the whore of Babylon.
1: She contains all of this ancient DNA, and she's figured there as, like, the absolute vessel of evil. The freedom that she brings is very disturbing for people that aren't able to... Hold themselves in the world. People who are not used to like being autonomous and and self creating. This is a difficult energy and it's an energy that will cause you to come into conflict with other people. If society doesn't change, this energy will cause eruptions. Not like when I see things online, it looks like a lot of men being problematic to women who are trying to take space or use their voice or be public. and actually it's sort of incumbent upon men now to sort of step aside a bit and allow women that space and not to silence them. So, we're in a bit of a, I feel it's has been volatile at the moment, there's a lot of difficult energies going on, this negotiation, because women are not going to go back to being sort of quiet, obedient, sort of old-school style idea of what femininity is.
0: In your essay, you beautifully wrote about how Babylon is both a destroyer energy, but also a regenerative, regenerative energy. And it's like these two polarities existing in one thing. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a neutron, you know, it's like a uranium sort of thing. It's very unstable. It can go either way. When I was reading about Babylon, and again, I had really no knowledge of her before. I connected a lot to... The way that she was portrayed as um, a woman in charge with agency over sexuality, somebody who painted herself, adorned herself, and also carried around a lot of masculine energy in the form of a woman. I think a lot of women uh, can relate to that. And this this is the kind of
1: work that women are going to have to focus on as well, to make sure that they don't take things for granted and that they actually keep these spaces and that they extend them and that they they extend their voices and their words and their bodies into these.
0: How are you able to bridge that gap? I'm sure a lot of women feel that way. (laughs) I don't want to, but I want (laughs) to. How do I do that? Give yourself no alternative. (laughs) You don't have a choice. We
1: didn't know that Scarlet was going to become anything. We were total punks when we started. We did 156 copies exactly of the Red Goddess. It was like the weirdest print order ever probably, like Y1, 6 <laughs> And it was quite a, an effort even to like sell through those and we were sort of like, who are you? who scholar Imprint? But then kind of things just lit up really quickly and we had to grow with it and go from being like punks to, okay, how do I do typography and how do I make a book? And even like writing essays, I'd never like written my ideas before so I look at my early work and I'm just horrified and, like, Oh my God, who was I? Who was this person? It was so long ago. I... <laughs> but I think it's important. You have to go through these different like shells. You have to keep breaking out of your skin. And the only way to do that is to do stuff. There's there's no like waiting and you're going to hatch. No, you have to struggle. It's like the butterfly. You have to struggle in the chrysalis. As humans, we go through many chrysalis. We're always trying to break out of this thing that we are into the next thing. I also realized that when Peter was asked to speak about Babylon, I said, Peter, I need to speak as well, because you can't just stand up there and say, Babylon is here, and I'm sitting next to you going, like, oh, wow, Peter, you're amazing, and I'm not saying anything with this stupid." And I also felt that I had my own understanding, but Peter has his understanding, Peter has his relationship as a man in a male body with this goddess and with this energy, and so I had to do it. I just had to. There was no choice. So I would stand up, and I think the first time he held on to me until right before I had to talk because I was going to run away. <laughs> it was just like you're doing it, <laughs> but I had already said I have to do this through the dance and movement, principally. through sex, through the voice work I've done. So I kind of put that in the movement category too because it's all so, so embodied. So through, through body work, really, through body work and meditation. But it's, it's very hard to draw lines with Babylon. It feels like everything. So if I'm making a book and the book is on whatever, I still dedicate that energy to Babylon. So if something is sort of terrible and it's hard to work and it's very difficult or something, just to always make offering of that and dedicate it to Babylon. And it's just this way of continually. when I feel that I can't do something, I give all my incapacity and I offer all my like poor, poorness and poverty and hope that this sort of emptying, she will return with strength. She always fills me with that. It it always comes through. (laughs) Something always gets me through. And so to keep this dialogue always um, always alive, we just moved to a place where we have a garden. So we have a little courtyard, and when we started putting the garden together, we made sure we had like a a dance of rose bushes around an olive tree, so that they're there dancing in the wind. And just having this relationship with those plants is a very um, a very interesting way of getting closer to her. To work with rose and rose essences, um, in cooking, in drinks, in, in, in things that you like unguents, in, in self-massage with oils, get anything that enables you to like heighten your own sensitivity and, and awaken this body. Self-touch is really important. Even before then you encounter the other and you touch the other, it's this like first encounter with the self, this intimacy, almost like being back in the womb. This sort of way we can become our own mothers again, and and enable that softness, which is where the regeneration comes from. But all the work I do is under Babylon. I think I had said before in that occulture podcast that in the uh, Book of Revelation she's described as the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So for me that puts her as The sort of the head or the fount, the source of this tradition of female sexual magic and female body knowledge that goes along with the hala. All the things like the control of the the reproduction, the understanding of how to work with the menstrual cycle, especially when going into oracular or visionary states and doing dreaming work. Um, Also the physical sensitivity. I mean, when I'm getting premenstrual or and I'm menstruating, I just the light has to be as low as possible and everything hurts too much. I can only wear silk, because the any other sense is too, like it becomes hot on the skin, any any other material, it's like it makes me hyper hypersensitive. It was just like such a huge taboo for me, but it was really life-changing in so many ways. It was like, you know, doing, a, <laughs> doing psychedelics, it was really intense. And so I think just Like do do unexpected things, challenge yourself, do things for fun. Like just start feeling how you can be in the world. I've been mountain biking and and doing things like this since I met Peter. I I couldn't ride a bike before I met him and then he like got me this really simple bike and then three months later, he pushed me down one of the Alps, he was like, uh, down a black run. It's like, well, you have to either stay on the bike or die. Some horrific kind of thing that was very bumpy and dangerous. And I got to the bottom and my adrenaline had completely rinsed through me and I was shaking and I picked up this rock and I threw it at him and said, why did you make me do that? You know I can't do that. And he was like, <laughs> but you just did it. Look, you did it. And so... Okay, I can do that. I mean he has a particularly, maybe, uh, <laughs> questionable approach to teaching. <laughs> I, had, I had to do, I had to learn fast, so my, my, yeah, that's been my path. But I think women need to do that, maybe a little bit more safely, but they need to challenge themselves, do things which are, that turn them on, discover that, be that, be that in the world, and, and see what that can become, because we're not static, we're not finished. We are continually creating ourselves. Beauty is something that is experienced in motion. That's why so much of my Babylon work is movement. It's something coming through you. It's an air. It's a a way of holding oneself. It's it's grace more than anything. And it's something you experience with all your senses and not just with your eyes. I mean, something smells beautiful. Something feels beautiful. Something arouses an emotion pleasurable in you. All of these are part of it.
0: How can a woman work with
1: Babylon? Yeah. Simply to begin, maybe set up a little altar space, make offerings, um, your blood, your menstrual blood, wine, lukumi, rose-flavored lukumi, roses, or cultivate a rose, use something as some kind of altar, some sort of uh, a space for her, for you to... Experience or hold her energy. Speak to her with a mirror, I work with a mirror in this way, like a darkened mirror or yeah, in candlelight and speak to her while you're touching yourself, while you're arousing yourself, using like the intense perfume to sort of awaken the senses more and expand, like diffuse that kind of awareness to something a bit beyond the flesh as well. And just I mean, that's the kind of, maybe I start, light the candle and make these prayers or petitions to her, speak to her, invite her. Yeah, she is a troublesome energy, but we are in times where we need troublesome energy in the world. that's actually going to get stuff done and we need to survive and we need to kind of evolve quickly.
0: Is it possible for anyone to work with Babylon? Or is Babylon one of those goddesses where she chooses you?
1: Well, I was chosen, but um, in my case, but I don't think that's the only way that happens or that one has this relationship. One can also open oneself to it. I kind of did that before I met, before the encounter for me. I think anyone can, but I think temperamentally, maybe some people are more resonant with that than others. it appeals to them more. I know there are other goddess archetypes, I don't like this language, that appeal to other people more. If what I say about Babylon or if your understanding of Babylon speaks to you, like you feel that there is uh, business for you there, something for you there, then I think you feel that and you know. It's a, there's a kind of sense of recognition. And I think that recognition is just the first step. And I can't really say too much about the whole journey. It's uh, you do what it is to open yourself, to make that initial like uh, opening, where she can get into the blood, and into you. It feels like being punctured by a thorn or stung or something like this. There's that kind of. There isn't really a female practice in magic, because everything's been written by men for so long. And I never found something that made sense for me until I started intuitively working with my body and finding it through dance or these kind of thing, movement and all my performances and my choreographies have been very much part of this progression of, of exploring different aspects of being a woman the female mysteries or having a body being <laughs> all these kind of things and it relates to the work with Babylon but maybe it doesn't have to be about that, if long if you see what I mean. It's, it's a way of going into yourself and opening up new vistas, opening up new dimensions for you to work with them. So it's just that there wasn't really a female practice. There are a few texts of um, women's Taoist practice, like solo practice and um, some tantric material, but it's mostly from a male perspective. So if you're looking to start working as a woman, there's almost nothing to be getting on. So for me, I just, because there are no texts, I worked with body as the text, as the the repository of knowledge. So I always just understood it as here is where I talk to my ancestors, here is where I, you know, call the ghosts to speak to me or to bring me messages in dreams. I'm very interested in the relationship between the moving body and dream. A lot of my research is around that at the moment. Because dreaming, this connection of the, the moving body suddenly becomes the body that is prone and sleeping and barely moving, or sometimes completely not moving, especially in, in some dream case and in the reports of like the witches flying to the Sabbath. Mm. So you have mm. a, a still body or a, a body with um, restricted or restrained movement or limited movement and then this vivid, dynamic, emotional, colourful strange world of dreams, and I'm very interested in this connection because it's still embodied but only in a very tenuous sense, this connection between like the world of images and the, the body that's no longer active.
0: Reading about one of your dances, um, you were dreaming, and then you took some of those dream images and you incorporated yeah. it.
1: Well, there was a couple of them. The, the last one, the, uh, the one I did in Luxembourg, and also the decoration of Flowers. After the one in Luxembourg, I I had a dream that night. I was very restless and sleepless most of the night. I had a very, very strange vivid dream about my father and it completely unlocked the next part of the work. So out of that dance, through the dream that came to me, like sort of oracular dream that came that night, like the door opened onto the next thing. So that was, um, that kind of happens a lot, this resonance between the creative process and the dream. I've had like one of the Uh, the of flowers I had. Also, part of the dance was given to me, it fell out of a turtle, a tortoise or turtle in my dream. So I had this kind of spirit animal in a dream and a book fell out of it. And I opened the book and it had the name of the third part of the dance in it and some like the writing and some gestures. And I was looking at it thinking, this is really important (laughs) because one of those dreams that you're awake in because they're so strange and the, the animal is more than just the animals, a spirit animal. So it was like this happens, and I'm like, I must remember this. And <laughs> the first thing you do when you wake up is just like recapitulate, like don't move, don't move, just recapitulate everything in your head as clearly as possible, like see it all again, go through it again, experience it. So get that in the like, um, you're awake, but you're still lying in that sort of um, hypnagogic state between. Sort of coming towards daylight and and consciousness, and you try and put words to the images because sometimes it's so hard to put words to things in dreams. And so it's to use this hypnagogic state you're coming out of sleep and you're, you've left the dream, sort of leaving that that kind of strange coloured world, and coming back towards like you hear a birdsong or something, and to find a way to mesh words with those images and then you wake up, then you wake up and write them down. But you have to have a period where you're not moving. When you move and get up in the morning, it's like tearing that dream body away from you really abruptly. It just sort of like renders it and makes it very hard to access that. Maybe you'll just have a snatch, a glimpse of something, but you have much less of it and that's because of this relationship between the dream and the movement. The movement, the moving body is like a body open to open to its environment. but It's suddenly concerned with the diurnal consciousness and not with this occult consciousness of dreaming. So you need to have this time between where you allow the language and the images to find each other before you move. To build up as well a diary where you begin to find your own language through it, through this process. And I think as a woman that's almost It's imperative to do something like this because that language of women's magic does not exist in the world at the moment. You can't find it in books. So there are many useful things in books and many of the, let's say, technical aspects of performing magic are applicable equally to men and women, but to actually access the deep female power that fuels magic and makes, say, spirit contact something you can maintain and not just something erratic that like a bad electrical line. This is the work that you have to do that there are no tests for. I think this is really important. We have access to this, and this is something that we have very easy access to as women because I find with the menstrual cycle that you have very clear ways of working with dreams, very clear gates. This kind of clock enables uh, sort of a loop to be set up, a sort of a spiral or something where you're continually interacting with the images that come to you in sleep and the, the images that come to you in the day. Daydreaming and the external world, these sort of appearance appearances with the body. As a woman, a very interesting way to start getting back into how we find our own symbolism, how we start to discover how to write from the body because we write from the dream, from the dream images, which is something that responds to what the moving body has done.
0: I absolutely agree with you that there is nothing out there, at least not in Western occultism, that seems yeah. to apply to the feminine way of trying to connect with spirit. I remember um, reading an article a couple of years ago about how meditation even, you know, yeah. s- being still, yeah. and just, that's a very monastic, it's a very male-centered way of meditating mm. but for me I could never do that you know I have to walk when I meditate mm. and just having a bunch of dudes tell me well that's not really meditation then
1: <laughs> yeah it's right. another kind of meditation but it's not the only kind of meditation exactly yeah walking mm-hmm. is brilliant walking is wonderful walking is what I do and I can't do anything else sometimes when I can't move or I can't think or I'm depressed then just simply walk it
0: So one of the reasons why I've been doing these interviews is because, first of all, I want to learn, but also because I don't see a lot of female voices or female perspectives, at least in the public, about the occult world. And every time I do an interview, I get very, very, very nervous because it's sort of like, well, you know... I'm new at this. I have no technical things to contribute. The best I can do is wear like some fancy earrings, you know, <laughs> and show up. I think a lot of women, sure. they go through the imposter syndrome. They go through the, what do I have to contribute?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And I'm sure because you, you know, you are a co-founder of a publishing house. I mean, that is like it's a like media company, a- <laughs> right? <laughs> it was
1: an accident. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I think it is an issue for, for many, many, many women, this um, not being listened to, and their voice not having any uh, any importance, and I, and I know a lot of women that have said how if they say something, and this happened to me, like if I say something, it's not heard, and if a man says it, it's heard. It can, it, I mean, it's happened more before, but it's, yeah, I think it's a general thing that Women's ideas are not taken seriously, but if a man says them, then, you know, that's it.
0: I love the advice that you've given about how women can start trying to find their voice again. It doesn't just have to be um, something like getting like, some sort of like Goetia to just doing like, all, all the rituals. You can just start with maybe putting a little bit more consciousness when you're doing yoga or like when you're doing belly dance. I would start with much simpler spirit
1: work. Mm -hmm. connecting with the ancestors, connecting with your own ancestors and your own family and attending to like the spirits in your environment, whether that's like the plants or the creatures, birds and things that are around you, whether you're in the city or out in the country or whatever. So starting to tune into that level of spirit. So you start getting comfortable in this world, you start getting comfortable in understanding the world as conscious and living and dynamic, and, and you really see it like with robins, I've got a couple of robins that visit my garden, and they always like stop, they fly onto the same porch, and they just look in the direction of the window. I think that's like, for me, this is the first step. Like this is all the preliminary work to encountering bigger spirits or
0: stranger spirits. It sounds yeah. like a hyper-awareness of sensuality. That's kind of my magic. That's what it's about. It. I love that. You <laughs> moved
1: when you said that, you felt it. It's something you feel, it's already in you. Because the more we feel it, the more sensitive we become to it, and the more we heighten and exaggerate our ability to feel. So the more flamboyant we get, the more expressive we get, the more sexy we get, the more sensual we get. All of that goes along with this. And this is, this is the level to work from, this hypersensitivity where even the spirits in the environment, you feel them rush against your skin and you know like, oh, he's there, he's there, he's come. This sense of awareness in the hairs, in the skin, it precedes even the visible appearance of the spirit. For me it's about going into that dark consciousness, the kinesthesia and the synesthesias that, that come out of this um, all senses combining in this darker, darker realm.
0: I love how you're talking about magic as Mm. a hyper awareness and appreciation, ecstatic uh, Mm. experience of your body, of your five senses.
1: Well, it starts with your body, but it doesn't, like your body
0: doesn't end at
1: your skin, so this is what, for me, the body just keeps going into wherever it is my body doesn't is not limited to this i uh, i mean everything i see
0: so i can feel everything this conversation has been really amazing in terms of helping me understand just how important it is to not be so disconnected from the body but also you know like you don't have to see movement as punishment as a way to lose weight <laughs> or to do anything like that it is definitely a gateway into spirit work and you know, like usually at this point I ask my guests, what are three songs that have affected your magic or that represent your magic? But for you, I was wondering, what are three pieces of choreography?
1: My appeal is at Sky dancing bolero Pure expression of shakti, shakti power, just absolutely ecstatic, euphoric, powerful, rhythmic, primal, just glorious, graceful, everything, emotional, everything is there. Anything by Hijikato Tatsuya. Few materials of him, of his work. His approach to the body is absolutely revolutionary for me. And it was his writings that intrigued me about Bhutto in the first place, before I even saw it. And he was quite a different character to Kazuo Ono. who was a very like crazy and hard and um, Kazuo Ono very spiritual and soft and gentle and I think he should cut her more like fire and I like very much this and the pictures of him and the, the small bits of footage we have of him moving and what he did with his dances is just incredible. So he gets something very shamanic, very, very deep and very very new all at the same time. The other would be anything by Komurabushi, who was my main Bhutto teacher, the person I trained with most. extraordinary, it's just a thing of wonder. He created such a body that was somehow, like I always imagined Nijinsky to be like half animal and half God. They're like equally blended. There's something so like primeval and animal and raw about his movement and then there was something like uh, the fragility of the human as well, of the, the the man and who he was, like when he was 68 when he died. But, and he was performing, right, until You know, he died, so he was performing very hard and intense dances and very beautiful as a 68. But at the same time, there's something just gloriously powerful and sexual, like a god energy about him, like the animus.
0: You mentioned that you're working on a new dance. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Working on three dances at the moment. Um, one of them is called Pater, which is the next in the sequence of nymph dances. So I'm doing a kind of a series looking at the figure of the nymph, because it's a interesting subject to me. The nymph is also like a, an elemental goddess, a sort of a pre-classical, classical era nature spirit, or pre-classical goddess, potentially, more likely and of place, so of caves and rivers and these kind of creatures. And nymph is also the female clitoris and the most sensitive, like highly sensate organ in the body. And it's something which is veiled because nymph is also a bride. So I'm interested in this idea of this unveiling, which is something very connected with the Babylon work as well as the connection to the sex and the, the concealed nature of It's kind of like a jewel within us, you know, that it is so sensitive and allows us to have this knowledge of the world through it. So the nymph dancers are exploring who is the nymph, this goddess, this elemental, this sex, the actual sex and the, and the bride. And I'm interested in this in, a, in an apocalyptic sense in an eschatological sense, in the sense that the the orgasm is like on the level of the human body, in the level of that moment, a kind of apocalypse, a kind of a revelation, a kind of an ending, an unveiling, a a tearing, a a falling away of the persona that we carry in our everyday life to something much deeper. always living within this occulted body that we are all the time, but we write on the surface of the time. We have we have many narratives which are cultural, which are personal but personal that we that we are always writing on ourselves and with ourselves. But deep, deep, deep within and you access this through orgasmic Babylon work, is this energy that is very, very pure and it's kind of there present all the time and where our knowledge arises from, all knowledge, and so the nymph dances are about this particular mystery. Uh, so Pater is the one where I explore the father relationship, with the decolation of flowers I explore my mother's and my, my female line relationship. I'm going to explore this sense of being a, a female in male space, this relationship with the father, this uh, connection through mm. the skin with the father, the other side of what I am really. Next dance I'm going to be doing is in October, and that's for a Butoh festival, and it was a put together composers with dancers. The piece that I was randomly put with is called Holodomor, which means murder by starvation, which is what happened to Ukraine when the Soviet Union decided to uh, starve them, all the peasants, and they were created, they were collectivising, and it was like a huge, uh, maybe 10 million people were killed because of what the state did to them. That's probably what I'll do first because I'm very busy and I have to sort of break things up. So I'm continually doing like the pattern work as a sort of exercise, exploring through movement ideas and kind of I work quite slowly but this is also I like to work through the cycles, so I keep the diary and um, as the dance progresses the, the different choreographic ideas and, and images get written down and record the movement practice. So it gradually comes together and it will become something, and I will show it, but it probably won't be until the end of the year.
0: And how about for Scarlet Imprint? Are there any titles coming up soon? Yeah, we've got
1: um, a book by Frata Asher coming out next, which is called Holy Daimon, which is his uh, research around the figure of the personal like daimon, the holy daimon and his working with his daimon and then exercises that you can do to make contact with your daimon. We have another tarot pack coming out soon, which is beautiful, but I can't say too much about it. It's absolutely stunning and um, very excited. And we've had this stuff. This came to us before the solar bus the major arcana came to us, and we were like, this is amazing, do it. And it took four years. And and um, the book of Peter and my essays. So we are calling that, we are sticking all our essays from the last 11 years in a book and it's the brazen vessel. So people can see like the progression. Um, there's much less of my work in it than Peter's because he's much more prolific writer than I am. But just to see the way our work uh, relates to each other, the way that we are individual have our own practices, but that they're always kind of in relationship with each other too. So it's just a kind of a book about a magical partnership, and the way that we are maintaining each our own work, as well as combining work as well, so it's
0: amazing to have this energy to to get all this done, like I can barely like brush my hair in the morning,
1: you know. (laughs) It's been building, and now I'm like, i am being carried by the momentum of it, it's like uh, the currents are, are moving, and these things have to be done, and it also, I, I got, when I got to 40, I just realized that my energy is so much, and there's only so much I can do with the rest of the time I have here. Because you, know, you feel more like the tiredness or whatever. And I just decided, oh, I'm just going to cut everything I don't need out of my life. Mm. Everything that I don't need that, that holds me back, that it is in any way a distraction, and I'm just going to focus on getting some things done. So I got a lot more, I'm such a late developer, I've just got serious, like, (laughs) in my mid-30s and progressively since then, like, okay,
0: time to go work. Well, I'm I'm 39 right now, so I'm right there with you, like, super (laughs) late developer. In a way, I'm glad that I got into everything kind of late, because I don't think I had the emotional maturity, to be perfectly honest.
1: You have self-knowledge, the older you are, I mean. Yeah. There's no
0: hurry. Guys, I will definitely link down to all of Alkissus's projects below. And I'm I'm just so happy that I got to talk to you, Alkissus. Well, it was lovely
1: to talk to you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for
0: inviting me. Oh, my neighbor, show me the real story. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches & Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers, they're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches, so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.